is going to be a first for me because I don't have anybody to sit down and talk to purposely. Uh, today I decided that I was going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart and not in a good way, but also because for anyone who doesn't know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I am a survivor of domestic violence and sexual abuse. And as such, I've been given the opportunities to go into colleges and to high schools to give presentations with an organization called the Stephanie Nicole Pars Foundation. For anyone who doesn't know, Stephanie Nicole Pars was a 25-year-old young woman from Freehold, New Jersey, who in 2019 went missing and three months later was found murdered on the side of Route 9 in Old Bridge. And as it turned out, she was in a domestic violence relationship with her boyfriend, who she met online, who had been seeing seven other women, who had abused other women. She didn't know any of this. And uh, one night after she got home, he broke into her home, he strangled her, he took her body, and he dumped it off the side of the road. And as a result, her parents, in order to deal with the pain and the loss, and also so that she would be remembered, uh, started the Stephanie Nicole Pars Foundation, and I am one of their speakers, and I'm very proud to be one of their speakers. I'm very proud that Ed and Charlene uh, call upon me to go into schools and to speak with high school students and with college students. And so for today, it's not about me. Today I really want to address parents because what's interesting when I go into these schools, you know, we hit them with Stephanie's story, it's very emotional, and then I get up there and I start to talk statistics, but as I'm talking statistics and as I'm talking about the warning signs, I'm also interjecting my story. And I wasn't sure because of my age that kids would be so willing to listen to my story, but when I see how it affects them, when I share what happened to me, when I share about how my first physically abusive relationship, not sexually abusive, but physically abusive relationship started when I was 15 with the very first boy I ever fell in love with. Their eyes kind of, I don't want to say they light up, but the eyes come up to me and there's this look that every person who has experienced abuse gets in their eyes, on their face, and I can actually pinpoint the ones that are not just interested in what I have to say, but are invested in what I have to say. And when that happens, I become very aware of how many parents really don't believe this affects kids in high school. And here's, here's, a, here's a real fact. Domestic violence in its physical form is starting as early as middle school. Young men and young women are being abused 
by the boys and the girls they have little crushes on as early as middle school. And I firmly believe that the majority of parents in this country are oblivious to that. I'm a parent. My daughter is 31 years old. Um, and you know what? I, I didn't do everything perfectly. There are a lot of things that my daughter um, learned from me, most of them good, but some of them, you know, some of them I, I flopped. <laughs> I just, what I call shit the bed. And, um, you know, there's, there are, there, those are things that she's had to work out for herself and that her and I have had to talk about. And as I've grown as an adult and as a woman, um, I've shared with her to help her to make her journey a little bit easier. But the one thing that we did always discuss very seriously was physical and sexual abuse. My daughter knew, um, my daughter knew at a fairly young age that her grandpa, when she finally asked me who that was, was a pedophile and that I had been his victim. She knew about uh, the doctor who had sexually abused me and the store owner who had sexually abused me. And then she knew about my first boyfriend who I met in middle school, started dating in high school. And looking back to that time, and I'm 59, so we're talking about 70s, going into the 80s, what we know as the warning signs and the red flags now were so apparent back then, um, had more of a discussion been had about, because you know what, domestic violence, this is not a new topic. Domestic violence, sexual violence against men and women, this is something that's been going on probably for as long as, as time has existed. And yet, people still have a problem talking about it. One of my theories is perhaps they have a problem talking about it because they have done something in their past that they're ashamed of and they feel like um, they really can't talk about it because they might be hypocritical. I, I, I especially apply that to men. Maybe something has happened in their past that they're ashamed of and they feel like, well, if, if I was now to try to teach my children, I would sound like a hypocrite because maybe I wasn't the best person in the world. And I'm here to tell you that that's not true. When we can take something we've done that we're not proud of or has hurt somebody else, and we can share that as an example of why not only it affects the other person, but how it affects us as the individual who did it. Let me tell you something. You are giving the world a gift beyond gifts. Um, now, yes, there are some people who are abusive, and they're just never going to not be that person. But I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people, everyday people, who maybe had a moment where they made a bad decision, and they wish they could take it back and they want to bury it. And I'm telling you, don't bury it. Use it. Use it as an example of how far you've grown, how much you've grown, and as an example of why, when you tell your sons or your daughters not to do something, it's because you know what shame you'll carry with you because you did do it. So. I go to these high schools, <clears throat> and after I speak, 
There are always a handful of kids who kind of hang back. They're not necessarily looking like they're anxious to get to their next class. And the reason that they're doing that is because they want to they wanna talk to me. And some of them even have to be removed from the room when, when Ed is telling his story or another survivor is sharing what's happened to her. And I have to go out in the hallway. And they break down and they cry. And I gently ask them, you know, are you being triggered? I'm sorry if this is triggering you. Are you being abused? Are you in an abusive relationship? And they all say yes. These beautiful high school young women, these handsome and sweet looking young men are standing in front of me and crying because they're being taken advantage of, they're being talked about, and immediately my first thought goes to the parents. Have you talked to your parents about this? No, no, no. The answer is always no. Um, could you talk to your parents about it? Do you think this is something, I don't know, I don't know, because their fear is <clears throat> because they've made a bad choice in, I, I can't even say choice, because their heart has fallen in love with someone who is not worthy of them, they um, are already experiencing the shame and the guilt, but they're feeling stupid and their concern is by telling their parents, their parents are not going to trust their judgment and are then going to become helicopter parents. Which, by the way, if you are a helicopter parent, please don't think that your child is um, immune to this. My mother was a helicopter mother and my father was a pedophile, so he was the uber helicopter parent because he didn't want me falling for any man, any boy. And I still managed you know, school became my place to meet with my boyfriend after school, walk home from, you know, walk home from school. Back then we didn't have cell phones, we couldn't be tracked. So when I could get out, I was able to get out saying I was with my friends until I was allowed to date. Um, so this applies to everything across the board. When you think, not my child, when it comes to domestic violence, when it comes to sexual abuse and dating, as teenagers and preteens, it's anybody's child. Don't fool yourself. And the behaviors that these young men and women are showing at a younger and younger age is frightening. Um, so getting back to when they, when they do talk to me, of course we bring the teacher over um, we let them explain to the teacher that they're upset and that it's already been set up that they can go to guidance counselors. Many times the guidance counselors are in the room with us so that we can make sure they have a safe place to go and they can speak to someone immediately. I, I was speaking at one high school and I was shocked when about six or seven young women in a group came up to me to confide that one, I know it was one, it could have been two young men in their class were, in their words, rapists and were abusing a lot of the girls that were in their school. And 
The staff did not know because nobody was saying anything. So you couldn't say, well, why didn't the school do anything, which a lot of parents like to do. Um, I have to make this very clear. When you are being abused, you become the world's best liar. You become a person who can and will at all costs keep that secret to yourself. Whether it's because you have low self-esteem, which was my case, whether it's because you truly feel, you know, I can help him, which a lot of young women and a lot of young men feel like they can do. Um, I don't want to desert him. Or if they're staying out of fear because their abuser is threatening them, threatening their family. This is something that they won't share with anyone, not even the teacher who's their favorite. I had so many teachers that I loved and adored. I didn't tell any of them what was going on in my home, and that started when I was six. And when I started to date my first boyfriend, I didn't tell any of my friends or any of my teachers. Certainly wasn't telling my mother because I was already keeping the secret about what was going on with my stepfather. Didn't tell anyone in my family. I felt like I, I could help him. He would see that I was a, a, a good girl and he would come around and he would understand that what we had was special and all the things that young women tell themselves because they have low self-esteem, even if they're the head cheerleader. So when I look at these kids and I talk to these kids and they come up to me, I, I realize it's so important not just to talk to them, but to talk to adults about what's going on. We will teach our children about stranger danger. We will teach our children about character and helping others. We will have in-depth discussions about premarital sex. And nowadays, it, it's uh, more about protecting themselves than it is about waiting. And no, I'm not on here to preach abstinence. Um, I'm not I'm not on here to preach anything. How you how anybody chooses to raise their child and the messages that they choose uh, to share with their children, it's all on them. There's there's no rule books here, as we parents know. <laughs> there were no rule books for our parents either. Um, but we don't sit down and discuss manipulation. We don't take the time to find out what the warning signs are so that we can educate our children in order to give them the skills and the tools that they need to recognize something early on and walk away from it. I will go so far as to say there may be some parents who don't have these conversations because they're in abusive relationships and their children are seeing abuse. And if that's the case, <clears throat> I don't judge you because, as I said, I was a woman who was in an abusive relationship for seven years. Um, so I don't ask people why they stay. I know why people who are being abused stay. And for anybody who doesn't know, I will tell you, be grateful that you don't know. Be grateful that you don't understand. If someone comes to you and chooses you to be their confidant, 
Don't ask them why they stayed. Don't tell them, well, if it had been me, I would have. Uh, don't ask them why they didn't fill out police reports. Don't ask them all these questions that you see on TV, on SVU and the, you know all, all the other shows that are on television. Don't ask them those questions. Do them a favor and be grateful that they got out. Be grateful that now they're ready to go because many times if they don't go, emotionally and mentally, they will die, or physically they'll be murdered. And that is also a very, that, that's a reality. We hear about the Gabby Petitos, we hear about these young, beautiful men and women who lose their lives, and we think, well, that's not the norm. I'm here to tell you it is the norm. Just because it's not on the news doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And when we talk about epidemics like COVID or the measles popping up again, when we talk politics and how deceiving our politicians are, I always sit back and I think, but there is a bigger problem in this world, a very human problem that people never, ever, ever address. When you meet someone when you're talking to someone for the first time and you like them and, oh, they're so great, they're so this, a lot of times when you're telling someone else about them and you're getting a little too excited, they'll be like, yeah, but you don't really know them. You know, you, you don't know where they come from. You don't really, you really haven't gotten the time to get to know them as a person. Think about that in terms of, in terms of politics, in terms of, of, the doctors that we listen to and the advice that they give, no, this is not going political. I'm just trying to give you a perspective about the things that we do talk about and how it directly applies to domestic violence, which we won't talk about. I am one of the few people in the foundation that I speak for that will actually get up and speak. Most survivors will not talk about it most survivors want to put it behind them. Most survivors want to feel that they can move on with their life. The only way I could move on with my life was to have a nervous breakdown. And even after my, my nervous breakdown, he still almost killed me. When I think back on my last relationship and my very first relationship, they're bookends to my life. My very first relationship started with him falling madly in love with me, calling me all the time. We didn't have texting then. Wanting to see me all the time, picking me up from school every day, wanting to be involved in every part of my life, doing everything that he could to, pass, to occupy every free moment that I had and he could get with me. That started to turn into telling me what he did and didn't like that I wore. Well, I really like those pants. No, those pants, they're, you know, they're a little too much. Then it became, I passed by your house last night. I didn't see your parents' car. Now, I lived in Brooklyn. You know, the car could have been 20 blocks away. It didn't matter. He didn't see the car. Where were you? Or if he didn't see the car, 
you were home alone and you didn't call me. I could have come to see you. That led to me starting to disagree with certain things and him pulling me or him grabbing me, yelling at me. As the relationship went on, there was cheating. There was there were lies. And the things that he was doing were the things that he was accusing me of doing. He was taking his transgressions and putting them on me. But at 16 and 17, do you really know that? No. You're just sitting there going, no, 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 no. I was home. No, I really was at my grandmother's. No, I really was at, you know, whoever's house, Roseanne's house, Grace's house. No, no, no. And it finally led to me breaking up with him and telling him that I wanted to break up with him and him, him raping me. And of course, for him, it was like, well, it's not like it's something we haven't done before. But it was almost his last humiliation, his last kind of stand of power. Because that's really what domestic violence is about. It's about power. That's what rape is about. It's about power. It's about overpowering someone else um, and taking all their control and their dignity away. So there I am between the ages of 15 and 18 with all these red flags. My friends used to tell me, you know what, Maureen, guys just don't like you. They fall in love with you. They become obsessed with you. And back then it was funny. Um, I wasn't the small, cute, petite girl from the neighborhood. I was taller. I was more athletic. I didn't wear as much makeup. And yet the guys that I, that I did have relationships with were, yeah, they, they were all in from week one. So now I live my life, and I've dealt with other abuses from other boyfriends. Thankfully, I marry my husband, who ends up being a very, very, very good guy, a great guy, actually. But in hindsight, I realized the day that he asked me to marry him, I was actually grateful, not because I wanted to get married, which I did, but I could not believe that a man like him would want a girl like me. And I remember thinking that way while we were dating. Like, what does he see in me? You know, he was eight or nine years older than me. Yes, I'm getting old. I can't remember how much older my ex-husband is. I hope my daughter doesn't hear this and roll her eyes. Um, he had a great job. He owned his own home. And I just couldn't understand why he would want to be with someone like me. And so when he gave me that ring, I, I just remember thinking, wow, like, this guy really wants to marry me. Okay. And the marriage was good from the, in, in the beginning, but then it became a struggle for me because any time he expressed something that he wanted different or, um, you know, something as simple as cooking, well, you know, Maybe next time, put spare ribs in the sauce. That's what my mother used to do. It used to hit me so hard because I really did want to be this perfect wife because this man picked me. And never realizing I had a choice. <laughs> I said yes. I could have said no. Um, everything became a test of will he approve or won't he approve. And he didn't know any of this. These were all the struggles that were going on inside of me. And... As time went on, we grew apart. 
and we both were very devoted to our daughter, but I felt like the more I tried, the more he found fault in. And it took me years to realize he wasn't trying to find fault. He was just, he was just being him. You know, he was not as emotional as I am. He was very direct. And we just started to grow apart. So I, I, we decide amicably that it's not working for us anymore. And I step into a six-month relationship with someone I meet online. And he's kind of exciting and the complete opposite of my husband. And we get into um, a disagreement and I realize when he's angry, he's pretty intense, but I'm like, it's okay. You know, okay, so this happens. This is how he deals with it. And then the next time something happens, I accidentally pinched him under his arm when I was getting up from, we were sitting on the floor playing with his daughter and he was leaning down um, on his arm. And when I went to get up, I pushed down and I caught a piece of his skin. And the next thing that I knew was he had slapped me so hard because he was such a big guy. I literally tumbled to the other side of the room into a pile of her toys. And he looked at me in front of his seven-year-old daughter, and he said, you stupid fucking whore. And I kind of sat there stunned. And I gathered myself up, and his daughter started crying, and I took her upstairs. And I calmed her down, and then I quietly left. And I did not speak with him again. He showed up at my home when my daughter was there. He found out my address because he had never been invited to my home and proceeded to slam his head up against the garage door unless I promised to meet with him. And I finally did and we set up a time and a place and I went to the police and I took out a a temporary restraining order and then I told them where he would be. Smartest thing I ever did. I was in, I was out. I was ashamed. I didn't tell anyone what happened. I was embarrassed. And, but I left, you know, I left him behind. And then I finally decided I was going to be on my own. But someone else who had been online had found me. And I couldn't figure out how he found me, but he found me through AOL. And he got in touch with me and we started to talk and I kind of said to him that I wasn't sure that I was ready to start dating, that I had just come out of you know, a situation and he talked and he kept in touch. And slowly but surely I thought like, this, <laughs> this probably sounds like a great guy that I'm passing up. And we met and the attraction was instant. And within three months we were living together and I was so grateful that this man, again, had found me. I was starting a new life after my marriage. I had a good relationship with my ex-husband. I was going into this great relationship. And slowly but surely, everything that had happened with my first boyfriend when I was 15 years old repeated itself 30 years later. And I didn't see it. I didn't see the same pattern. But by the time I was 45, I was really 
embarrassed that I had been sucked in, that within six months he was hitting me and he was cheating on me, that my daughter saw him as someone that I shouldn't be with and I didn't listen, that my friends told me I was moving too fast and I told them, no, you don't understand. And there I was, seven years later, sitting in a courtroom, describing how this man took me onto the Garden State Parkway and almost killed the two of us in a car accident. Car accident didn't happen, but when I tell you, it was inches from us going into the back of a tractor trailer, I mean it was inches. So the 45-year-old me, the 52-year-old me, hadn't listened to the 15-year-old me. I didn't listen, I didn't learn anything. And part of me not learning anything was because nobody was still having these conversations. When I look back on it, had someone had that conversation with me when I was 15, had someone reminded me that I was worthy, had someone told me that this is not behavior that should be allowed or accepted, had someone said to me, when someone treats you that way, their standards are so low, you don't lower your standards to them. If they can't elevate themselves to your standards, then they're not the person for you. If someone had told me, you're not responsible for the well-being, the emotional well-being of the person that you're with, that person is responsible for their well-being. If someone has traveled down a path that is so dark and you think that you can rescue them, you can't. Only they can rescue themselves. If someone had even just said any of these number of things to me, I don't think it would have taken me almost 50 years to understand that I was worthy of a good relationship, that I was a good woman, that I had a lot to offer. Instead of going through my whole life telling myself that I wasn't a good woman, that I was just a woman who was put on this earth to be abused and shut up. So to the parents that are listening to this, I want you to tell your boys and your girls that there are warning signs. I want you to tell your sons and your daughters that they are smart enough, no matter what anybody they love tells them, to know what's right for them and what's wrong for them. We talk about that little feeling in our gut, our little gut feeling. And I think by this point, because we've said it so many generations, our kids probably still roll their eyes. And that's okay, because part of being a kid is thinking you know more than your parent. <laughs> I know I thought. I thought I knew more than all the adults around me. But that's probably because all the adults around me were also being abused. Just a side note. I want you to know the warning signs. Incessant texting, constantly calling. Um, very obvious PDAs. The PDAs just go overboard. If you notice that your son and your daughter are dressing differently and it's to please the person that they're with, 
Yeah, that's a big red flag. That's a big red flag. And don't look at it as, oh, you know what, I'm so glad they're dressing more modestly or they're dressing more, you know, trendy, whatever it is. You know, start to pay attention to those things. Start to pay attention. Sometimes it's not just teenage moodiness. Start to pay attention of whether or not they're letting their friends go. If more and more of their time is only being spent with this person. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't healthy relationships that kids can't spend a lot of time with. But I think it's really important as parents to tell our kids these warnings, these warning signs, these red flags as, they, as, as they're called now. I think it is really important not to just tell your child that they can say no if someone that they care for wants to have sex with them and they don't want to. I think it's really, really important to understand whether you agree with it or not that there are kids whose worthiness is directly tied into their sexuality. There are kids who believe that if they are willing to have sex with a partner, then that's what's going to make that partner stay with them even in this day and age. All the things that we disagreed with growing up with our parents, all those mentalities, they really haven't gone away. And the way people look at us, the way people think about us, yes, now we can say, I don't care. That's their problem. I'm going to dress and act whatever way I want to. And you know what? That is our right to do so. But I also think it's a parent's responsibility to make our children understand that there are still people that that look at us, that look at people a certain way, whether we, we agree with it or not. And I do think it's a parent's responsibility to let their child know that they are responsible for their well-being. My daughter was a tomboy. So people say, well, you didn't have to worry about this. And I had to worry about everything. You think just because she was a tomboy, I didn't worry about her being hurt? You think because she didn't dress a certain way? Anybody in this day and age who still thinks that the way you dress is, um, you know, kind of attractive to someone who wants to take advantage of them, you're, you're so wrong. Dressing has nothing to do with it. I wore, I wore turtlenecks when I was a kid because that's what my stepfather made me wear. And I, I was still abused. But there are going to be people out there who think that. So we have to make our kids strong enough, and I do believe in that, to be the person that they're meant to be. But we also have to work on their emotional maturity. And we have to have these difficult conversations with them. We have to let them know that if something happens to them, they can and should immediately come to us. They're going to tell their friends eventually, but, you know, we don't really fully understand sometimes until later in life that it's our parents who are our biggest advocates, that when our parents say, I don't care what it is, you can come to me, that we mean it. And you have to say those words to them. You have to say, if someone 
sexually abuses you, if someone is hurting you, if you're raped, you need to come to me. And you shouldn't be telling them, I'll kill them. Anything ever effing happens to you, I'll effing kill them. I'll I'll effing put them in a hospital. Because you know what? If someone is being abused by someone they love, their instinct, your child's instinct is going to be to protect that person. No, 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 no. Because they're confused. They're going through so much deep down inside. They, they cannot filter out what they're feeling that is healthy and what they're feeling isn't healthy. When I, when I um, first heard Stephanie's story and I was speaking to her, her dad, Ed, he said to me that, you know, when he, I think it was the third time, third or fourth time, okay, 25-year-old girl, third or fourth time that her, her boyfriend abused her and she tried to get away from him. She said to Ed, you know, I'm not pressing charges and I'm not, go- I'm not putting in for a restraining order. And he was livid. You know, of course she knew my dad will kill him. What she didn't know what he, was he, her boyfriend at the time had been threatening to kill her and her family. If you tell, if you say anything, if your father comes for me, I'm going to come for your sisters. I'm going to come for your mother. So it's really important to let your kids know that you're not just coming from an emotional point of view as a parent, that you're coming in very clear-headed and and letting them know this is how it gets taken care of. You come to us. We talk. We figure out a course of action. And I know that sounds like very methodical and very – But as someone who went through it, it took me seven years to tell my family what I was going through. My mother and my family did not know what my first boyfriend or any of the boyfriends that I had who abused me, they didn't know what happened to me until I was in my 40s. And I finally stood up in front of a room of people and told my story and my family was there. They didn't know the true extent of my abuse until I put it in my book. So in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I am asking parents, as a parent, but also as a survivor, have these conversations with your kids, not just the basics. And we know what the basics are. Teach your children that under no circumstances, no matter how much you love someone, Any type of verbal, physical, or sexual abuse is unacceptable. Whether we want to admit it or not, our kids are exposed to so much more than we were through the internet, through television. They are, and and the messages are mixed because what they're seeing on television, what they're seeing on the internet, whether we believe it or not, They're starting to believe that that's the norm, and it's up to us to tell them that's not the norm. Are you kidding me? That's not the norm. That's someone who's trying to get attention. That's someone who's trying to get followers. That's not the norm. So I guess I just would love to believe that some part of what I went through can reach others to help them 
When I look into these kids' eyes after I've spoken, when I've hugged them, when I've had a strapping, handsome teenage boy break down in embarrassment, choking back things that have happened to him, how he has been abused, when I have a beautiful young woman standing in front of me in so much pain that she's not sharing, not even with her friends, the first thing I think about is you, their mother, their father, and how I wish you could be standing in the front of that room with me to see how these children react to what I'm talking about. It is your child. It's not someone else's. It isn't that rare media story that we get to see and hear about. It's not the thing we see online. It's so many more of our kids than we know. And if we don't start having these very real conversations with them, we're going to lose more and more and more of them. They may not physically die, but their spirit and their mental health will die. And they'll be lost to us in one way or another. So I will say to you, if you are in an abusive relationship, please have a plan. If you don't have a plan, then send me a message, I can give you one. There are a lot of resources out there, but I'm, I'm not even going to try to convince you that um, even law enforcement is always on our side because they're not. There are a lot of things that are broken, which is why our children and why we all need each other more which is why we need to be part of this community that says, you know what, I'm gonna start talking about this. Because the more voices we have, the more change can take place. The more people who come together and say, I'm not gonna feel ashamed anymore. I'm gonna figure it out and I'm not gonna tell you it's gonna be easy. It has not been easy for me since leaving my last relationship. But I can tell you that I've never been happier. I can tell you I am building a life that I love. I have found my voice. I'm not ashamed of it. And I honestly and truly, this is going to make me cry with every part of my heart, want people to just be safe. I want our kids to grow up happy. And I want families to know that no matter what, they're there for each other. So please be safe. Love your children, love your parents, but more importantly, love yourself. Take care.